of those years, living the life of someone I didn't even know. I've always found that the harder I work, the more luck I seem to have. The key to my success has been in identifying talented individuals and harnessing their efforts. So you're a control freak? Oh, I exercise control in all things, Miss Steele. <laughs> what's, you, what's you looking at me like that for? What, man? Come on, you just drove down here? Yeah. I was so afraid I'd get out of law school and be selling shoes. My mom works in a school cafeteria, my sister in a hospital laundry, so selling shoes is the nicest job a girl from my family's supposed to get. I assume you can't say nothing defamatory and you can't say fuck, piss, or cunt, that right? Or anus? I think I'll be all right then. The only exciting thing about 2002 is that it's a palindrome. Okay, fine. Well, yours is the worst life of all, so you win. Hello, and welcome to Beyond Bechdel. This is part two of our two-part series on the best films of the decade. Hopefully, you've already listened to part one, which focused on the films from 2010 to 2014, and now part two is about 2015 to 2019. And here we go. See the palm trees. They tell you anything's possible. No one cares about reality anymore. Part two. Hello. 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 Um, we will start with your film from 2015. My film from 2015. Do you have any runners-up? Well, sort of. Um, in as much as it came down to a choice of two. Um, one of which I think probably reasonably popular and the other one not so much um and i well i i, I sort of thought about it long and hard uh, and i'll give you my my runner-up spot first yeah um and uh, but it was a close call very close call okay. um the runner-up spot goes to uh, the big short runner-up the mm, big short the big short yeah very good film um uh, could have won easily but something uh, better came something, along well, okay so the, the winner and i realized that there's quite a lot of people who are going to disagree with me here um, for a variety of reasons. Um, the winner is um, Knight of Cups. <laughs> yes. Um, so Terence Malick makes a second appearance for me. Yeah. Here, um, which tells you everything you need to know about the way I feel about Terence Malick. <laughs> Do you want to um, say something quickly about The Big Short? Yeah, sure. Just because... Maybe with Malik we m- might be treading some old ground. <laughs> maybe, maybe. That's not fair because maybe. it's a different film to Tree of Life. Uh, they, are, they are totally different films. To be, the Big Short and Night of Cups are utterly different maybe, films. Yeah. They could not be at different ends of the spectrum if they tried, I don't think. Maybe a couple of, a couple of minutes on Big Short. Yeah, it, it, it's just a, a, uh, a based on a book uh, of the same name in which uh, the financial crisis of 2008 is recounted slightly comically. Uh, through those people that were able to make a profit out of it, uh, pr- played predominantly by four people, um, Christian Bale, who was actually awesome. I was just going um, to link those two Christian films. Bale, uh, Brad Pitt, um, Steve Ryan Car- Gosling, Steve and Ryan Gosling uh, being the four, um, who all, in some shape or form, sort of 
either either make money out of the financial crisis or um, help in it through a through a process called short selling. And and it's a very comical look at this with a lot of addressing, you know, breaking the fourth wall, addressing the camera. Um, and it's a critique, critique of the whole system, um, of the whole concept of greed and, and whatnot. Um, I think it's Adam McKay's best film, and that includes one that's not you know, later on Vice, actually. But um, well, has he done anything before this? Uh, he did Anchorman, didn't he? Anchorman. Oh, did he? Yeah, he did Anchorman. Oh, um, now you're asking me to choose Anchorman. Well, it's a different kind of comedy, isn't it? It's all that's much more sort of slapstick. The Big Short is a, is a genuine, smart, intelligent comedy. Um, I'm very original. Um, I think the subject matter also just happens to suit me. I, I'm, I particularly like that kind of thing, where there's a critique of a, uh, of a system like that. Um, but um, it, it is a brilliant film, but um, I just, in my head, Knight of Cups was slightly better. And I think you'll definitely have to explain Knight of Cups to our listeners, yeah. because if I remember rightly, it, it didn't make its budget? Probably not, probably not. Or if... Yeah, Malik's on a run at the moment. Probably starting now. Well, I say. When did To okay. the Wonder come out? Uh, After this? No, it was. Um, this was. It was between this and Tree of and um, Tree of Life. So Malik does the Thin Red Line. Then he makes Tree of Life, and he's got Sean Penn and Brad Pitt and Jessica Chastain in that film. And then he's like, everyone in Hollywood mm. wants to be in my movies. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think I think you should say. I mean, I think we said this with Tree of Life, but I mean, Terence Malick did two films in the first, you know, five years, and then did nothing for the next twenty, uh, and then and then really start. He, he just suddenly. It's almost like he suddenly realised he's running out of time. And, and now he's, he's not young, is he? he is he young. in his fifties or sixties? Not sure, but he, I doubt right. he's younger than fifty. But he's not. I don't know. No, he, I'm sure he's in his seventies. I would have thought. Really? Yeah, I would have thought. Okay, you talk about this film while I look this up. Okay, fine. Um, so probably the first thing to know. This is this is probably um, part one of a sort of duo of films that he did that are very very similar. The other one is Song to Song, which was released a couple of years later, but I believe filmed at the same time and and very very similar in a lot of ways. Um, now, this is not a film that is going to be universally popular. It's not really for mass consumption. Probably, it's probably less for mass consumption than The Tree of Life is, and that wasn't really for mass consumption either. Um, and it's a very ethereal kind of plot of Christian Bale wandering around Los Angeles, waxing lyrical about how bad his, how awful his life is, and the soullessness of Hollywood, and so on and so forth, while he deals with deals with his his family. Um, and and it, it is. I mean, there is a word to describe that particular kind of thing, and the word is pretentious. And, <laughs> and, and it is. I, I will concede that that is a fair that is a fair critique of this film. Um, but I would also say, in Terence Malick's defence, that he is not. He's not a plot guy. He never was. And what he is is a guy that creates beautiful visual images and juxtaposes them with lovely music. And I just, I'm a sucker for that. I really am. Nick, I need to ask you a question. Do you have daddy issues? Uh, I don't believe so. Because both Tree of Life and Knight of Cups, if I remember rightly, are about brothers and a man and his dad. Oh, uh, right. Um, 
Yeah, but then there's other films that have nothing to do with that at all. I'm not sure what the thin really right. But these are your two favourite films of the decade. Um, the New World was just about Pocahontas, right? So. But these are your two favourite films of the decade. Well, I, I, I think what it is, is Terence Malick, more than any director I've ever seen, really, certainly any, any director of the last 30, 40 years, treats film as a, as a visual art form. Um, and with less attention to plot and, and it depends, you're watching a film for a lot of people, probably for most people the plot is the singular most important thing I don't think it necessarily is for me it's still important, don't get me wrong, but I do place more of an emphasis on it I probably also give a lot of I place a premium on music in films, definitely and if you get the right music with the right image it's really, it's really going to stick in my head and I think he does that more than most directors probably more than any director in fact and in this film, particularly? Yeah, he does. He uses a couple of um, couple of classical pieces. Um, Pantasia on a theme by Thomas Tallis by Waithorn Williams. And I think there's a, there's a classical piece called, I think it's Exodus. It's a Polish piece that was used, um, quite a dark piece. That's, that was used quite a lot. Um, and lots of funky camera angles, you know, fisheye lenses and things like this. Yeah. It, um, it, 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 I, mean, I mean, if you want me to describe a plot, I kind of already have. It is him wandering around. He has, he does have father issues. There is family elements to it, but a lot of it is voiceover of him lamenting about his life. That, that is kind of it. Well, another problem I have with Malik is that he likes to have these protagonists like Christian Bale, and then he likes to pepper his plots with 25,000 beautiful women who these protagonists come across, mm. have a brief, passionate love affair with, mm. and then disappear. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that happens to Bale's character. Yeah, in the yeah, yeah. There's a certain amount of experimental acting going on in this as well, um, which is to say, I think, I think they'll give him the, the bare bones of a plot and told to sort of improvise bits and pieces of it themselves. And that sometimes works and sometimes doesn't. I, I think if you say to two people that are just stood next to each other, have an improvised conversation, but here's the basic, there's a, and I'll, I'll just film the whole thing and we'll, we'll get something at the end of it. Um, I, I think there's a tendency to, for people to do daft things like little dances or look at the floor quite a lot. Or, um, and, and I think after a while you can sort of see this, you can, you can it becomes predictable what's going to happen. But, um, as I say, it's not, it's not for everyone by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, most people are going to watch it and probably not like it. But I keep asking myself, who else is doing this? Who else is, is creating that kind of uh, visual art out of cinema? Which other directors? And, and I can't think of one. Um, he's definitely changed, Malik. I mean, I, I think his modern standard of filmmaking, the kind of films that he makes, probably began with The Thin Red Line. I don't think Badlands or... Um, Days of Heaven were necessarily quite like that. Badlands certainly wasn't. Um, and now he's just churning out these films, these little experimental films. What I like about Knight of Cups is this idea of these tarot cards. I feel like that's right in Malik's wheelhouse. Mm, yeah. By the way, what he does, he seems to be looking good on it because he's 76. Yeah. And there's me yeah. saying, a man in his 50s, just 20 years old. Well, he made Badlands. Yeah. He made Badlands in the early 70s, so he's got to be getting on a bit, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay, I'm looking, I'm looking up. I know the answer to this. 
What's the question? What does this film pass the Bechdel test? I don't think so. Is there that many female characters in it, so really? Leslie Portman in it and Kate Blanchett, I think. They don't even speak. To them. And I think there's some other. Well, Natalie Portman in both this and Song to Song is just there to be beautiful and loved mm. by men, but yeah. you know she probably yeah. likes that, so good for her. It's funny how the actors and actresses in these films, they kind of fawn over getting into these kind of films. Yeah. My guess is Terence Malick just sort of, you know, advertised in like Variety or something, you know, making film, uh, you know, actors wanted. He probably then got a call from Natalie Portman, Christian Bale, and late, later on Ryan Gosling, who's in, not in this film, but in Song to Song, which is a very similar film. Yes. Um, <laughs> they... they, 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 they just fall over I don't control. even think it's mentioned on the Bechdel test site. <laughs> so Is it that unusual? It's almost, no, I think more it's that Bechdel failing. Oh, right, okay. No, I'm, I'm joking. I don't know. It probably is quite unusual. But um, I'm just reading an article from HuffPost to try and work out what it says. Yeah. Mm. Sexual pleasure. Several women with whom Rick had flings years ago should still somehow loom large in his memory years later. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I, okay. Should we say a big fat no? I was, to I, I was, I was, I was just going to say, I think you could assume a no if you, if you wanted to. Uh... I think the issue here, though, about Malik films is that he really could pass the Bechdel test if he just gave himself some female characters to work with. Mm. I don't think he's ever had a female protagonist. What's he scared of? Not a full protagonist, not a you know, a proper full-on protagonist. I suppose, uh, going back, probably uh, Sissy Spacek in Badlands, maybe, but yeah. she, she, she's just a secondary protagonist behind uh, Martin yeah. Sheen, I would argue, but anyway. It's getting worse and worse, yeah. so... Before I slag it too much, maybe you can summarise why you particularly like this of all the new Malik films the most. So the, the music. Well, I don't know if I like it more than True of Life. Oh, um, uh, sorry, but for pick of the year. Oh, um, I, I just I I I do love love the art of film. That this this I mean I, I consider it to be the sort of the amalgamation of of, of a sequence of beautiful images. Now. Things like plot are important. And, 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 and other <laughs> no, they're not. And not other, to you. Developments like I don't know editing and so on and so forth. But I don't. I don't hold them as, as quite in my head. It's quite as high regard as I do that the image itself and the way it looks with the right kind of music. And and to me that that is is of extreme high value in the art of cinema. But why can't I just go to a gallery? You could. You could. Uh, but then again, you, you could say, well, if, you're gonna read, if, you're, if it's plot, then why can't you read a book? Mm, good, good comeback. But, you know, it, it, it really, filmmaking is a combination of all those factors, isn't it, really? So, and it's just a question of which one you give more higher priority to in your head. And to you, audiovisual, mm. fuck that plot, man. Fuck that plot, man. Whatever plot there was in that film. Knight of Cups. Do you have an actual question? Still. Yeah, sorry. Are you gay? So it's all well and good, me slating Terence Malick, <laughs> me talking about the Bechdel test, me having this podcast named after that test, which is supposed to be about female empowerment. And my film of this year is something which is probably going to blow all of my purported 
empowerment talk out of the water. Do you have any? Have you got any runners up? I've got lots of runners oh, okay, up. Good. But I'm just wetting your appetite with okay. the shock film I'm about to talk okay. about. Okay, so let's talk about my runners up. Uh, firstly, Carol. Oh, yeah. Yeah. by Todd Haynes, which is a beautiful love story between two women, yeah. uh, played by Kate Blanchett, Kate having, Blanchett. A, having a great year. Um, is this the Blue Jasmine year? Uh, well, it's definitely around it. Yeah. yeah, but the difference between you and me is that you're still friends with Woody. <laughs> He's off my Christmas list. Um, and it quadrupled its money, Carol, and... It, it, different for Haynes, it was quite optimistic. I think in the way that Malik's making more films, um, Todd Haynes is making more uplifting films. He's used to real struggle, mm. but he's always liked his heroines. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But that's my main runner-up. And then I've got some others. Okay. Um, Mad Max Fury Road, probably... Mm the best film of 2015 in my opinion yeah i just thought it was breathtaking i think for cinema it has to be something like you never have before non-stop isn't it yeah and i think i think mad max fury road is just a film that like is like an it's like an onslaught yeah and i think that it's almost as if i'm talking about the same thing as you are with malik you're talking about this arty like feel good dreamy breezy thing that you want and i think that mad max is not that at all but it but it but it gives you a feeling anything that can give you a strong powerful uh, feeling just to say on on, on mad max fury road that is a film that had all the potential to go so horribly wrong and and it actually worked out really well since was the 80s mad max three beyond thunderdome mid 80s yeah um, but it did have Tina Turner. Um, just a just an amazing film. And um, what's his name? Miller. Is it Miller director? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, amazing how he did that so many years later. Really um, empowering heroine. Well, she's she's only part of it, but Charlize Theron's character. Mm. Um, yeah, just an amazing film. Um, and then I've also got Ex Machina. Yeah, yeah. Also, another film, unfortunately, directed by a man. What can I say? Um, but really interesting narrative on AI. But I also think there's a secret, like, women in society narrative there. Yeah. And then, um, what's his name? That amazing director. He went on to make Annihilation. He likes his female characters. Mm, I don't know. Um, Alex Garland also also a, wrote a brilliant book, The Beach, which was turned into a terrible film, but it was a really good book. Alex Garland, bit of a god. Um, and then a couple of other things, Sicario, my mate Blunt again, Villeneuve, being yeah. hard. It's also Villeneuve, not really female empowering, but I think that her character could have been a man and it wasn't. And I quite liked the vulnerability of a woman, but still... She's proper hard and mm-hmm. it likes her guns. Um, and for some reason, I put Spectre on this list and I don't know why. Maybe because of Judy Dench? No, she's not even in. Maybe because Bond ends up with the girl and she doesn't die? I don't know. I'm taking, I'm taking Spectre you off put, that list. You put Spectre in your Beyond Bet. Yeah. You put a Bond really film in your Bond. 
Okay, let's move. Let's move on to my film. Anyway, th- this is very, going very fair. Of you. It's all re- it's all going rapidly downhill. However, I'm pretty sure that my film now passes the, at least a two, maybe an FFF. Yeah, I think it passes the FFF test. Are you ready for it? Yeah. Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh my God. That, 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 wow, that your best film in 2015. Uh, no, it, it, from, my ca- from my criteria, which just a reminder for those from the last, uh, from part one of the podcast, which is um, I made it up. That's the most important thing that everyone needs to know. But in this decade, I'm picking important films for women in cinema. Yeah. And every one of my films is directed by a woman okay. and probably yeah. stars a woman they don't yes, all yes. and also has producers and writers and mm-hmm. so forth and I'm trying to get to the FFF test which is um, uh, director writer or producer star women and even if it doesn't um, pass all of that that it's something that means something for the cause and I think that we just can't ignore this film. The phenomenon created by E.L. James when she wrote these three books, and let me tell you, these books are awful. They really are terrible. I think I read one and a half and I couldn't do it anymore. I don't think I know what happens in the last one. And I'd also like to talk about the fact that there were three films. Yeah, yeah. And I've only watched one of the films. Yeah. And to be honest, maybe I'd watch one of the other two if I've got some time spare, but I don't seem to find time spare to watch them. But this film... Is by Sam Taylor Johnson, and I just want to talk about money again. So, you yeah, know, that's important sure, to me sure. the success. Right, so this film, are you ready? It cost 40 million to make, which is a, which is a lot. How much do you think it made um, at the box uh, office? At the box office? Yeah. Oh. Worldwide. Oh, worldwide. I don't, a couple hundred million, maybe? It made 570 wow. million. Wow. You cannot deny that sex sells. <laughs> Yeah, because let's exactly. be honest, that's why people watch it. Um, I bet you haven't seen Fifty Shades of Grey. So there you go. But so I'm, sex I'm is a very little I, part I, of I it. I am of a higher power. Okay, I am. <laughs> I am up there on the moral high ground. <laughs> yeah. you and Malik and Woody Allen. Yeah, stay on that island, please. Um, I I think this is a genuinely good film really? made from a ge- from a genuinely bad book and bad script also written by Earl James. And I'm so happy for Sam Taylor Johnson that she made this cuz I think this probably gave her a lot of money which meant she can carry on making projects. I like her as a director. I like what she does. She had an arty background and then moved from art to filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And um I, I going back to your Malik point the similarity between Night of Cups and this film is that they've both got a really good soundtrack it's not all classical yeah. music but really nice music uh, in Fifty Shades of Grey uh, an interesting plot which could be farcical it could be stupid it could be soft porn it's not really any of that at all there's a few scenes but honestly it's quite chaste considering because I'm guessing that's probably what they needed to do to to um, get it made by the studio yeah. um, starring Dakota Johnson um, and Jamie I've forgotten his name see what I mean men don't matter to me in this um, and it's about for anyone who hasn't seen it maybe some male listeners maybe some female listeners who thought it wasn't for them um, but probably not that many given has a feel of a, of a film that I don't know you'd watch sort of late night 
11.30. You really think it's, you think it's soft porn and I think you, you need to, you need to watch. You know, you're right. You're right. I'm being, I'm being unfair. Like, I'm not saying it's the best film ever made, but it takes a story and makes it interesting and gives all the characters within the story, like, some narrative and some personality in a way yeah. that the book doesn't. But you're right. I'm being unfair. Yeah. Watched, so I can't so, comment. Exactly. So Johnson plays Anastasia Steele, which is a brilliant name, and she is in university and her friend gets ill one day who's a journalism student and she goes to... Um, Inter- Jamie Dornan, I've remembered his name. She goes to interview uh, Christian Grey, who is this billionaire, who is like, you know, the, uh, the utter, like, women, straight woman's fantasy of a billionaire. And it turns out that he's had a bit of a distressed life, which you don't really find out throughout this film. You get hints at it, and I've read a lot around it. And basically, he is very controlling. But instead of this being a film where he's just, tying her up in a room and it being like hostile or something he's actually into everybody having control and that it explores the idea of submission actually being something that you can control so there are films like secretary that people have raved about and they say that's a female empowerment film personally no it isn't for me but this film i like the way and i'm sure this is because there's a female director that taylor johnson looks at this and she wants to give agency to Dakota Johnson's character. She knows this is a book about people getting off on BDSM, mm. but she creates a world around it where it's a little bit like Pretty Woman or a rom-com, but then it's also got a bit of a serious side to it. And it just goes up and down and deals with an issue that not enough films deal with, which is women enjoy sex too and want to kind of utilise sex for what they want. Not necessarily to have a baby, but for sexual enjoyment, which can be being dominant in the bedroom or in this film, the red room of pain. Uh, Question, question. Why is it called Fifty Shades of Grey? Because in the books, he's called Christian Grey. And in America, they spell Grey, G-R-A-Y. And of course, we spell it G-R-E-Y. And it's Fifty Shades of Grey, G-R-E-Y is the title of the novel. And E.L. James is um, British, but she was clearly writing this to attract an American audience because it's set, it's set in the US, the right. book, um, and the, the film is as well. Um, and there is a section in the book, if I remember rightly, where I'm paraphrasing, but it's something along the lines of um, I've had 50 shades of shit beat out of me or I've been through 50 shades of shit or I will whip you 50 shades. And it becomes... You know, so obviously there's the shades of grey as well. But that, that's the... That's, there's various motifs. And of course, because it's an E.L. James novel, she mentions it because she can't not be on the nose. But this book is about the developing... Sorry, this film is about their developing relationship, their interest in BDSM and an exploration of male and female control. And it's an entertaining film. And like I said, it is elevated by a great female director. And I don't know, I don't think Taylor Johnson made two and three, which is probably what put me off. And I know that there were lots of rows on set. So James is very um, controlling of her material. And um, I don't think that's right. But at the same time, she was a perfectly like 
fine middle class woman and then she became a multimillionaire because of mm-hmm. these books. Um and I I just find it enjoyable because I, I just think so many films that deal with women and sex that are just mainstream films and not porn are still generally made by male directors or with a male gaze. And this isn't. It's a kind of female gaze. It's not even a female gaze. It is It is technically because Taylor Johnson's looking in the camera. But um, it's um, it's very clever with its editing of the sex scenes as well because you can't show so much on, on camera. Um, and I think that a film that has all of those women involved in it that made a shit ton of money about a subject that made the world stand up or should I say made the male straight world stand up and think oh hang on a minute there's all these been traditional gender norms about women and they can't possibly enjoy themselves um in the bedroom and therefore they've been challenged and now they're like well all these women are buying this book and a lot of men as well um there must be something behind this so I think it created another wave of feminism albeit it, it, in a not in a flawless way <laughs> there are still issues with the writing of the book but the film takes those all away because it does make it audiovisual instead of written and you do get a good plot you get an entertaining film and like i said made so much money it had to be top of my list yeah, yeah. all right fair enough well i haven't and i haven't even seen it have I sold it to you? Do you think you would watch it? I'll probably watch it on my own if that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> you might be disappointed. Um, you go ahead. Um, you I, go I ahead and then I let me know how that goes. I will watch it. I, will watch it. Um, I, I, I do have a low expectations, but you know what? I, I, I haven't seen it, so I, I really ought to you know, give it a go. But you understand what it's done mm. yeah. for the cause. That's all I can ask for. Fifty Shades of Grey. Just to let you know as well, it does pass the Bechdel test, but there is an awful lot of feminist critique of this film. And I think that that's something that should be explored as well, because a lot of people are saying, just because this film passes the Bechdel test, it doesn't mean it's feminist. And I'm like, I think that there are different ways of looking at this. There's one point of view, which is this is glamorizing abuse. And there are parts of the book, certainly, where I think it goes down that route. But there are other parts when it's actually about a woman taking control of her own sexual desires. And I think there's nothing wrong with a woman wanting to be more submissive if that's what she wants. Um, And so I just want to acknowledge that, that feminism is an individual concept. And I'm fine with this film. At some point, you gotta decide for yourself who you're gonna be. Can't let nobody make that decision for you. Are we on to 2016? Yeah. Um, similar structure for me, which is I, I, I narrowed it down to two. <laughs> please, please don't let one of them be a Malik film, otherwise uh, we're gonna have to yes, end this Malik. podcast. Yeah, no, he's, we're, I think we're done. I think we're done with Malik now. Thank God. Um, uh, did come down to two films, though, one of which the the ultimate runner-up. Um, Probably, I'm fairly sure, failed the Bechdel test, but you tell me. I like the uh, fact that you're thinking about um, it now. Um, the one that was uh, Hell or High Water. Mm. Without having really looked at it, mm. I, I, I could probably tell it's, it is just a male-dominated uh, modern Western. But I do like it. 
Yeah, I can't think of any women um, talking to one another. It's good, though. Chris Pine. Chris Pine's actually a... You know, if he stays away from Star Trek, it's not, it's not a bad actor. Um, I think he's fine in Star Trek, and also I think he's very pro-women, and, so... Uh, and Ben Foster's a great actor. I've really got a lot of time for Ben Foster. Mm -hmm. um, but didn't win, didn't win. Uh, in the end, I decided yeah. that my best film of 2016 was... La La La... No, uh, Moonlight. <laughs> Moonlight. Moonlight. Oh, dear. Okay, um, Moonlight. Yeah. Um, Brilliant film. It has to be said... Um, Malik-like uh, in, in places, in places. No, don't, don't take away from a black um, director and make no, him sound I'm like an saying, old white man. I'm saying that it, there are scenes in that that are that reminiscent of certain Malik films where it's very kind of dream sequency like um, But I like the idea of it, the concept of a... Uh, I think the, the idea of... Um, being, being gay in black America is quite a... is a, is a very, very difficult story. I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine an upbringing that would be more difficult. It's just handled very well. A very good film. Please tell us the plot of Moonlight. I can't remember the. the, the I want the exact details of every part of Moonlight. It's just about um, two boys growing up, isn't it, in the ghetto of uh, I can't remember where exactly, somewhere in America. Um, and they. Uh, it's primarily about one, isn't it? It's about one boy's yeah, story. It is, it is. But he struggles with it. He struggles with his sexuality throughout his entire life um, and sort of holds back against it. And it isn't until he gets older that he's able to sort of deal with it a bit more. But it's just, it's just handled in, in an incredibly sort of beautiful way. Um, I don't know if I can say much more about Moonlight other than saying that I was when I watched it absolutely stunned by it. I remember that it's also about his identity as a black man in America. Also, Naomi Harris plays the main character's mum, and she's like a crack addict. She's very good. And Mahershala Ali plays... Is he like a stepdad? In yeah, yeah. I think he is, yeah. And that's an amazing role. I, I, I do know what you mean about the cinematography. It's a very beautifully shot film. Yeah, it is. It is. And I, I see, I, when, when I'm sort of categorizing, mean, I mean, to me, assessments of films are sort of independent of sex, race, anything like that. To me, this, it doesn't matter what, the, it doesn't necessarily matter to me what the subject matter is about in this particular instance. I just think it's a beautifully made film. Um, and, and that alone sort of qualifies it as the best film of this year. Um, I, I, think, I think the story, as well. I mean, I mean, I know, I know. I've just sort of spent the last ten minutes telling you about how plot doesn't matter as matter as much to me, which is true. It doesn't. But I do think when you deal with a particularly hard, um, difficult circumstance, and, and I think I think I can't think of a more difficult thing to. I, I think I think Black America is so inherent. It's so sort of intrinsically heterosexual. Mm. I think to grow up in that environment and be gay, it must be incredibly hard. And I think the book it's based on, or play, mm -hmm. must be based to some extent autobiographically. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, 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 the, the, the comparison in my head I drew from a film which is totally different and in, in a million different ways, but deals similarly with a very difficult situation for someone growing up in was actually Billy Elliot, oddly. Oh, wow. Um, many, many years ago. 
which is, I don't think he's actually gay, Billy. He might be. It's hard to say. His friend definitely is. Uh, I don't I know whether he is. I don't but, know whether that's an uh, important part of um, But it's, it's more to do with the fact that you've got someone into ballet growing up in a very, very hard environment, and, and the two just clash constantly. Mm. I think the same could be said of Moonlight. Yeah, the drugs, the mm. being, what it means to be a man, yeah. which means being masculine, which is anti... Yeah. Uh, homosexuality. Yeah. Um, I think we need to talk about Barry Jenkins as well. Mm. Like, I don't think... Did we know anything about Barry Jenkins? I, I didn't story? before Moonlight, no. We've seen um, if Bill Street could talk. Um, which is, which is a later... It is a later film. It's so beautiful. It is beautiful. I, I don't think it's as good as Moonlight, for, for that matter. But, but I think in, in Moonlight, he, he allows himself a little bit of scope to drift into an art form with cinema. I think he, he, t- he takes it to that, that, that level of of beauty, of dreaminess. And again, I, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry to sort of go on about it, but I do value that in films. Um, and, and so I, I think he, he just ticks that box in this film for me. Yeah, so it's like a genre for you. Yeah. I, I do think that Moonlight was probably the best film of this year, hands down. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say something shocking now. Are you ready for it? Go for it. It doesn't pass the Bechdel test. Well, is that surprising when you consider the subject matter? Yeah. But I think that doing a psychological analysis of you and of me, mm. do you think that maybe you gravitate towards films that are about men because you're a man? Do you not think it's frightening how every one of these choices doesn't pass the Bechdel? It's a good question. I suppose you, you, suppose you would wouldn't you? You'd, you'd naturally gravitate towards the things that... I think it's I like unconscious you. bias, if you yeah. don't mind me saying. And you're certainly not the only person that suffers from it. Mm. Because I think you look at um, Night of Cups yeah. and you look at Moonlight yeah. and you couldn't pick in some ways two more different films. Yeah. Uh, you know, one is your quintessential white man having a white man crisis. And, then... <laughs> and uh, not even that, like a sort of a Hollywood white man's crisis. And then the other, and also he's a, a rich or maybe not rich, but wealthy enough, not, not poor on the streets. And then you have a young black man's existential and personal crisis, which actually feels like a crisis. Like you go through that film and it's so softly done and yet you feel the pain that he's going through and you do not... Barry Jenkins is such a good director because he is very sympathetic to all of his characters. Mm. And I think in um, both this film and in If Beale Street Could Talk, there are all different types of people represented. Yeah. They just happen to all share a skin colour. Yeah. So... Um, you know he he's and, and you know good and bad and what have you he always is sympathetic and i think malik is as well actually that's another thing they have in common but um this film feels more necessary and urgent this is one of the films on your list where i feel like it might not necessarily be putting the female cause forward mm. but at least it's changing the narrative of this being just Old white yeah. men. It's it, I don't I don't ask me why. But have you do you remember um 
Um, pieces, pieces of wild. I haven't seen um, it, and I know yeah, I should now, do. I don't know yeah, why. Actually, it looks it, amazing. It is. It is. Yeah. Uh, now I don't really think Moonlight is actually anything like Beasts of Southern Wild, but again, there is there is a, a certain I don't know extra. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, ethereal quality mm-hmm. to them, um, or or I, mean, I keep using the word dream, but that's not not it really. It's almost supernatural. Yeah. There's, there's elements of that going. And of course, that's not. There's nothing supernatural about Moonlight whatsoever, and there's nothing really supernatural about Beasts of the Southern World really, mm-hmm. when you break it down. Um, but the, 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 it's the feel that you get from mm-hmm. it, and, and it's it's something similar, I think. Yeah, I believe that Moonlight is a film where, even though it's real events, there's something about this film where they're created with a a sheen or a yeah yeah like a, a gauze over the camera that that makes it a film yeah great wow we're doing a podcast where we really don't know how to describe things well what what is there really to describe it's the same with with night of cups I mean, the plot to me is slightly yes yes it's it's, important. it's a coming of age tale yeah but you know we don't really need to know we it, it's really just about you, as you say those are the words coming of age tale it's that's really all it is um, the, 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 the genius of the film is, is in the filmmaking. Yeah. It's not in necessarily the, 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 the intricacies of, of a plot twist mm-hmm. here or whatnot. Yeah. Again, um, in part one, we talked about your love of concept. Mm. And I think it is the concept. Yeah. Because lots of people can make a, um, a biographical drama, mm. biopic, but... Not everyone can make it in their own unique way. So, Moonlight. Mm, yeah. We were wondering about the sandstone in the front yard. I mean, if you wanted to get rid of it, we, we'd take it off your hands. You don't have to sell it if you don't want to. It's just that Gina wants this new house to be authentic. Right. What's my film? Of 2016. What is your film? Ah, okay. Now we're talking about a film that even, um, well, I don't know. Yeah, probably even fewer people have seen than Night of Cops (laughs) because this director is nowhere near as famous as Malik. But um, the people who have seen this film, we're a tight group and we love it. We like to spread the word. And I think I may have talked about it on the podcast before. Let's talk about my runners-up. Okay, so my film of the decade, if it wasn't Moonlight, which I don't think it is actually, but that's my runner-up. My film of the decade, if I'm just talking about what I love, what I want, the only problem with this film is it would have been my number one choice this year, and it is my film of the decade, like I've mentioned, is that the director's man. But it has something in common with your choices, which is it's by Denis Villeneuve. And that film is Arrival. And I love that film. And I have watched that film three times. Oh, wait, is this your winner or your... No, this is my runner-up. This is your film of the the decade. It's my film of the decade, personally, me, Contrera. However, it does not fit my list, which is there has to be a female director. So if Denis Villeneuve wants to 
pull a Wachowski and have sex change, it might work. But even then, I'd say he was a man when he's making these films. He doesn't need to do that. But I want to talk about it because it's such a wonderful film and I think everyone should see it and it's sci-fi but it's modern and it has Amy Adams being amazing and it's another circular film which is something that Villeneuve likes to do see enemy in our previous podcast Mm. um and it's just a wonderful exploration of love and taking risks in life even when you know it might not pan out Mm. and it's just very clever got aliens in it Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Everything. Big knuckle, big knuckly aliens. Yes. Weird, spidery, what have you. Yeah, he loves spiders, spidery looking things, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. However, it's only a runner up. Yeah. Yeah, well, there you go. Um, Some other ones. Everyone's favourite, the new Ghostbusters with Mm -hmm. the ladies. Mm hmm. Also male director, hated by a lot of people. Kind of wanted to put it on the list just because a lot of people, I mean, <laughs> men, didn't like it. Um, and they can screw themselves. Uh, Love and Friendship, which is an adaptation uh, by Whit Stillman of um, uh, a Jane Austen book, which has Kate Beckinsale in it and Chloe Sevigny. Yeah. And is very witty, very funny, brilliant. Uh, I've got Moonlight on my list. Miss Sloan. Um, I'm into my redheads. Jessica Chastain giving various um, political lobbying uh, set pieces. Amazing film. Didn't think I was going to like it. Loved it. Thought it was really clever. Loved her taking central stage as well. Um, Rogue One I've put in here. Interesting. A uh, female lead character. There's a lot of problems with Rogue One. That's why it can never win, which is that she doesn't really say much and it doesn't pass the Bechdel test. Probably if you're going to have a Star Wars film in there, probably, probably Rogue One would. Yeah. Jyn so great character. Pity they made everyone around her a man. Um, and Hidden Figures, which, again, um, d- doesn't have a male director, I don't think, but, you know, celebrates people who we didn't know anything about and weaves a story which might not be 100% true but I think is very important to show how important these women of colour were uh, at NASA um, so there was a few there so that was a good that was a good year yeah okay. now this film is called Certain Women and is by Kelly Reichardt who is an indie director who has made Wendy and Lucy mm-hmm. And Meek's Cut Off, which I'm sure you like. I do like Meek's Cut Off. It's a cold western, going back to that. And this film is, it's another case, I think, of like a female Malik, actually, which is that the number of famous people in this film is outstanding. Uh, Kristen Stewart, Michelle Williams, Laura Dern, lots of other male actors, um, and then this really cool Native American actor whose name I really should know, and I'm going to look it up. And it is a film about women. Lots of different vignettes that all sort of relate or have some overlapping storylines, which is one character might be the sister of another character. They don't all um, meet each other. But basically, it's just, it's really hard to explain it without watching it. 
But I think I want to find out where it's set as well. I had all of this. I thought I knew all of this. I think she's called Lily Gladstone, by the way, who is the Native American actress. She's very good. Mm -hmm. um, Montana. Right, there we go. So Laura Dern plays a lawyer and she's got some issues going on in her personal life and with her clients. Uh, Kristen Stewart plays a girl who becomes a substitute teacher who develops this relationship with the Lily Gladstone character who goes to night school. Um, Michelle Williams is a wife and mother and is trying to kind of start a business and wants to kind of like work in the area and she's kind of like the earner. Um, and all these tales crisscross and I'm, I'm, not really, I'm not really selling it well. That's why people need to see it. I don't think it made its budget back, which is sad, which Malik might not have done either with Knight of Cups because they don't publish his... Um, yeah, because they always, they never make their money back. Yeah. It's just, I just really can't explain how beautiful this film is. It's just different women in different circumstances living their lives, but their lives are interesting and they have, they don't have to, sexism is not really a thing in it. There's a little few things with Michelle Williams' character and her husband and her son and people in Montana saying you can and can't do this with business. But they have jobs. They're trying to make a living. They're trying to love. There's a, um, a budding lesbian love story. Um, people ride horses. It's very atmospheric. Again, there's the magic hour aspect. Yeah. It's quiet. Kelly Reichardt films, I, I think, are yeah. quite quiet and soft. Well, meets, meets cut off all as well. And... It's more about how you feel. It's trying to create an atmosphere. But it's just, it's just, I love these films that are a study of women, of different people living their lives, and they all happen to be women. Yeah. And I think there are so many of these films with men, and they normally involve their jobs or fighting something or disputes in some way and there's arguments in this film and there's tension but it kind of rises and falls and you can just bed in and enjoy it just little snippets of these people's lives which are universal yeah. and I just think that Kelly Reichardt is just a wonderful filmmaker and I think she struggles to get funding mm. to make films. And I don't think there are very many filmmakers like her. And I think that if she were a man, she may be as famous as Malik or other independent male filmmakers. And instead, I presume she's quite a quiet person herself. And so she needs these actresses to be in these films. Well, Champion. you've got to give her time. Um, well, I don't know. She's been doing. She's not young. She's made a few films. How many films? I don't know. I can have a look, but it wouldn't surprise me if it's more than five. She's fifty-five. No, don't worry about that. She's made one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. She made Night Moves. Have you ever seen Night Moves? Seen about Moves. it's about. Um, uh, they're kind of um, anarchist uh, environmental protesters 
Jesse Eisenberg, Dakota Fanning. That probably is her most successful movie. Although that says it didn't even make a million. People, you need to watch Kelly Reichardt films. I just don't, I just, she just, nobody else makes films like her. And apparently there's a film she made last year, which I haven't seen because I didn't hear about it, called First Cow, (laughs) which says it all. It was distributed by A24, so that's good. So A24 know who she is. I just, long may she continue to make these small quirky stories about women's lives. Yep. So maybe I can encourage you to watch it. Yeah, I've seen it. Oh, did you like it? Yeah, very good. (laughs) Do you see what I'm saying about these different stories? Well, it's um, it's it's a it's a it's a relatively sort of um, sort of tried and tested formula, isn't it? You just piece together um, a sequence of it's kind of like a. Magnolia style sort of vignettes of, of like people that interlink in some way, um, and it's and, and not quite as dramatic, uh, and, and, it, and it works as, as a formula, it always works. I, I, I think it does anyway. Um, and you don't care that they were all female characters, no, did you notice? You probably did. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is called Certain Women, and, and all the characters <laughs> are women, so the you know, it was on the nose that wasn't it, but um, that's fine. <laughs> this podcast where I go, this film's amazing, and you go, yeah, it was okay. <laughs> Why did you put up these billboards? My daughter Angela was murdered seven months ago. It seems to me the police department is too busy torturing black folks to solve actual crime. What the hell is this? Nick, we have reached 2017. 17. What are your runners up? Uh, runners up, uh, two runners up. Um, first is um, the uh, the genius that is uh, Christopher Nolan and uh, Dunkirk. He's back again. Was that 2017? Mm, I just yeah. said 2018. It's a runner-up though, Dunkirk. Um, Why is it a runner-up? Because uh, there's a couple of fil- or at least one film I think is better. Um, <laughs> Aren't there two films that, well, I don't know, it depends on, no, yeah, no, I, I, equal I one. The, the runners up. Quentin Tarantino recently has said that Dunkirk is one of his favourite films ever and he um, needs to get a life, but anyway. Well, I, I think it's, it's just, a, it's the, just the antithesis of Pearl Harbour, isn't it? it it's it's um, if... Um, Stiff upper lip, chaps. Well, it's just, it's just a great, you know, it, it's, a, it's a very kind of... Uh, we lost this battle. Poignant sort of, a very poignant... Uh, Retelling of a retreat of a well, of a just a very, I don't know what must have been a quite terrifying experience. Yes, and to be fair, my, both my granddad and my granddad's father were yeah. both on Dunkirk Beach, so I'm taking the piss out of it, but it was like an important part of my yeah. family history. Yeah. Um, I just think that, um, I'm not ever going to be that into war films no, no you and don't Christopher know. Nolan was trying to get an Oscar and he didn't get it no but it's still a, it's still a great film it's still a great film Dunkirk it is a good film it is good um, film. and the way it deals with time is very interesting to the point when I was listening to a podcast where Tarantino was talking about this film the host of the podcast said oh this was one week one day one hour and yeah. I didn't get that I knew there were different time periods but I, I didn't know. know it was 
Did you know that? No, I didn't. So no. three stories, so one in a week. a week, one in a day, and one in an hour. Wow. Okay, I feel better now, so it wasn't just me. We'll have to watch <laughs> it again and go, oh, look at the time. Yeah. Right, your next runner-up? Um, it's a film called, um, uh, I think it was called Brawl in Cell Block 1999. Oh, my good yeah. Lord. Welcome to Nick Tries to Get Thrown Off the Beyond Bechdel uh, well, podcast. Yeah, by a director called um, S. Craig Zahler, who's the guy that did Bone Tomahawk, actually. Um, and it, it's, it's a very simplistic film, very simple, of just pure... Um, Testosterone. One guy who's, who's been charged with the responsibility, or well, he has to, for the sake of his family, for the sake of his, of his, of his, of his wife, actually, and his child, go and kill this other person who's in this prison, which, which then requires him to get arrested, get chucked into prison, okay. gets chucked in the wrong prison, needs to get chucked into the right prison, so he has to commit various <laughs> okay, crimes all, all along the way. Right. Um, and he's actually a really nice guy, he's a really nice guy, but he knows unless he actually does all this. It's a pretty violent film, but I like it, very simple, but I think it works really well. Um, but it's not my winner. But can we quickly talk yeah. about this, right? That's a film that, that, that the, 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 the conceit sounds really clever, mm. but it sounds horrific. It's a bit brutal. So what is it about it that you can watch that you like? That's your runner-up in a whole Well, I would say, I would say um, firstly, Vince Vaughn's performance. Vince Vaughn, to me, is a talky actor, very talky. You know, all, of, the, all his roles, all his roles. But he plays, the, he plays the lead actor. It's very, very subdued performance by him. Um, he just he, he holds back. You know, he doesn't say a lot. He, he's a very very quiet role. Not that many. Not not much, it's not that much speaking in the entire film actually. But he is he is he plays although a very violent, but also actually a person whose morals are in the right place. Mm-hmm. And he ju- he judges in order for my family to survive, I'm going to have to commit these heinous crimes just to get to this one guy who does deserve to die. Quite frankly. So uh, are you saying that? Everything else in this film, this this sounds like um, Rambo. Sounds like First Blood. Um, Everything else he does is justified by his moral. I don't know if it's justified because he does some pretty nasty things. I'm, I'm not yeah, sure if it's really justified, yeah. but it it's you, you can't you, you root for him. I'd say that much. Okay. Uh, so he's an antihero. Um, yeah. He's almost a hero. Yeah, um, and he is to a certain extent inevitably going to wind up being killed in the end, which of course he. Spoiler uh, alert! Oh um, no, I won't see it now. What um, a shame! It's, it, I, I, I do. I've got a lot of time and respect for a simple plot, you know, that just goes very much goes A B C D. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, um, I think I think many of my most my favourite films operate on a simple plot basis, mm-hmm. and this this couldn't be simpler. Really, there's nothing really to it, but it, it just works quite well. Quite like it. I thought it was very. So the execution. Yeah. He gets from A to Z. He does in the end. He gets to where he's want. He, basically, he gets to where he, where he needs to get to. Yeah. Evil is punished along the way. He is ultimately the winner, although he's going to pay for it. You know, right. he, he, but he knows that. I, th- I think it's one of these films that one quarter of the way through, you kind of know mm, he's, he's not going to make through this alive. At some point, he is going to come unglued. But <laughs> but you accept it, and he accepts it as well. Do you think it's the dire- the director who makes this? Mm. Is that what because? There must be other films out there with a simple concept. Yeah, yeah, there are. I, I, and I, 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 but I, I think this, this particular case, um, I do think Vince Vaughn makes it in some respects. I think he's, it's. I do think if you take an if you take an actor out of character and you play them into something that you wouldn't normally expect them to be in, you, 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 
it comes, you know, you, you get a very you different that? experience. Yeah. Because I feel like completely different film. Um, I feel that's a little bit like Scarlett Johansson in Marriage mm. Story. Yeah. I think she's playing a very subdued character. Yeah. And normally she's so active yeah. and big. And I think she plays the she plays the smaller character to Adam Driver. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's the only um, similarity between whatever your film's called, Brawl in Brawl Prisoner in Cell Block H. What yeah. is it called? Brawl in, I think it's Brawl in uh, Cell Block 99. Which is the the ultimate cell block that he has to reach? I think I think if I remember right, I think he has to get himself uh, change. He has to change prisons by committing a crime, and then he has to get thrown into the worst cell block in the worst prison, which is where this person yeah, actually right. is. Yeah. yeah. I have to say though, I I don't want to watch this film, but I did laugh when you said he got thrown into the wrong prison. Well, he he, he doesn't commit as ha- a, a hard enough crime to get in there. So when he gets in there, he's like, oh great. Do so you think okay. this is some kind of diatribe on um, yeah. criticism of the American yeah. penal system? It, it's, all, it's all rather tragic because there's a, there's a, there's a sort of there's a prison guard who sort of tries to befriend him and, and offers to say, says to him, look, you're a good guy, we've really, got, Vince. We've got, a, we've got a boxing club here. You know, you're so money. You, 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 you like you could you know you could do with a little bit of sort of friendship. Why don't you join us at the boxing club? And he mm. and he's. and then he's, I think he ends up breaking the guy's arm purely because he knows he has to commit a crime to get to this other prison. Okay. He doesn't do it because he doesn't like the guy, he just does it to, for the greater good. It's a funny old sort of mm. concept. Really. I don't know if I'm regretting asking you um, to talk about this yeah, film. Anyway, what's your favourite film? Anyway, film? My favourite film is um, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Oh, um, I think that's on my short list. Yeah, it was a great film. I think it was robbed of the Oscar that year. It went to um, Shape of Water. Yes, um, I've never felt more upset about that. Um, great film, great film. Um, more complicated, as I say, than the cell block one. Uh, basic plot line of, of mother finds her daughter, I think, raped and murdered. Raped Yay, and murdered. rape uh, and murder of murder. women. Never uh, heard so that not, before. Not happy with the response of the local sheriff. She uh, rents out some uh, billboard space on three billboards outside her town, Ebbing, which is in Missouri, um, and, and writes some fairly... Uh, but not not distasteful, but just attacks the sheriff for not doing more, and and this and this sort of divides the town, and and and, and there and, and with those that, that think she's right, and those that think that she's been a bit hard on the sheriff, including critically his de- the sheriff's deputy, um, and the sheriff's right. would yeah Woody Harrelson yeah. But Sam arguably, um, he's, he's a critical he's a critical component to the whole story, really, because he is quite a bigoted, prejudiced person. But in some, but he, in the end, in the final analysis, bonds with Frances McDormand, who's the mother, who um, also won an Oscar, uh, and o- over their desire to catch the actual people that that did this, um, and nothing more than that. It's, but it's just a very well put together slice of sort of small town America and, and how and how this kind of crime can affect a town and what it can do to them. Martin McDonough, isn't it? And yeah, he's it is, great yeah. at making those yeah. kind of films where which have this kind of moral blurred boundaries didn't he make calvary did he make calvary which is another film about like religion and righteousness and Mm. right and wrong yeah yeah can't really fault you it's a great film it probably doesn't pass the bechdel test although there is francis mcdormand arguing with her daughter in a flashback isn't there yeah and so she's probably saying 
don't go out or something, so it might pass on that basis. But um, you're talking about Vince Vaughn. I'm guessing Sam Rockwell feels the same thing. I think, I think he's Sam... kind of stupid and horrible, and then he becomes vindicated. But Sam Rockwell has, has to this point, had still demonstrated a, a more of a variance of his acting abilities than Vince Vaughn had, I would suggest. Yeah. Um, but he's also a very reliable sort of indie-style actor, isn't he? Sam Rockwell, you, you stick him in, you're going to get a good, solid performance. Yeah, and he's just so lovable, so yeah. he's the perfect person to play that kind of character because he adds something to it which makes you give them more of the benefit of the doubt than yeah. you ordinarily would. Yeah. So why is this film your top of the year? I, I just think some films um, just really hit the marker. Is These kinds of films, they're invariably about a lot more than just the crime. They're actually, what they're really about is the way thing, the way all the crime does is sort of scratch, scratch at, at tensions that already existed and they bring them to, to the boiling point. Mm-hmm. And it's just a question of what you do with that. And I think what this film really is, is just study in, in the small town characters, the bigotry of small town characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, ultimately, it is about a mother's desire for justice. But is it really justice or is it really revenge? And it's hard to say. And whether there's any r- real difference. I don't think anybody is exactly black or exactly white in all this. It, 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 there's a lot of um, shades of grey. Fifty of them, you might even <laughs> say. Um, and it, 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 again, that, that study of, of small town life, of how it sort of all fits together, it is. It is. It's not. You do see it in quite a lot of films, but I think I don't think I've ever. I don't think I've seen it quite done as expertly as this film. It's quite nice seeing Tyrion Lannister yeah, as well. Peter He's very good. Poor old Peter Dinklage. He's trying to get a date with Frances McDormand, wasn't he, or was it with somebody else? Yeah, but yeah. I feel like he does get one, doesn't he? Yeah, but she does it sort of under duress, doesn't uh, she? Or, or is she just trying to blow up the police station yeah, at that yeah, point? Yeah. Yeah. Very good, though. Yeah. Um, and, and I like it because Frances McDormand's amazing in it and she won the Oscar and she used her platform to talk about um, inclusion riders. In she did, yes. She made a big deal about that in the yeah, Oscar ceremony. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's another reason why it would be on my list. Yeah. And it also kind of segues into my film because... My film also involves mothers and daughters arguing. Mm. But the good news is no one gets raped, no one gets murdered. But are are you finished? Yes, yes. (laughs) It's just segueing. So now you're mad. No, it's because just you're being I want ridiculous to to because music. you have a great life. I'm sorry, I'm not perfect. No one's asking you to be perfect, just consider it. We'll do. I don't even want to go to um, school. Let me give you my runners-up. 2017. I put in here Lego Batman. That's just me because that's one of my favourite right. films of all time. It's got nothing to do with women. It's just like, well, it's got some good female roles in it. But honestly, that film is amazing. Um, that's just me. I put in Get Out, although again, not really necessarily a good film for women per se. It's more about race. Well, it, it is if you if you just it is if you just if you if you is if if you perceive Get Out to be as I do, Stepford Wives with black people, which is what I the way I see it. But there you are. Well, yes, except it's about racism. You wouldn't um, want to. But, yeah. but it might lead people to watch the Stepford Wives. Mm, yeah, the original. Which, yeah. Is, which is about feminism. So, yeah, sort of. Yeah, yeah. 
about women being not being automatons anymore mm. because they actually are automatons. Um, but also, I quite like the idea that the female characters are fucking reprehensible in that film, mm. um, which is the kind of the white woman stereotype, and I think it's something that should be parodied and reflected upon. Um, and another film that I liked, which is a film I champion all the time, which, again, not a lot of people have seen, but is unfortunately by a male director, otherwise it probably would have been my number one, is A Quiet Passion, which is by Terence Davis and is a film about... um, I never remember anyone's name anymore. I'm Nick. Oh, hi. Um... Emily Dickinson. Emily Dickinson. And, and um, um, Cynthia Nixon, who's in Sex and the City, is most famous for that, has this, has this like, absolutely, absolutely phenomenal portrayal of the, of the poet. poet. And, and hers was quite a sad life. life. And they've got an Apple TV show, show at the moment, which is, which like, is like Young Cool Dickinson. Dickinson. Emo, Emo, Millennial, Goth, what have you. And this film is... A realistic, a realistic portrayal, portrayal of a woman who has this condition called Bright's disease, so she's in pain a lot. Who may be gay, but certainly doesn't want to be married off to anyone she's moving to, and just stays in her house all the time writing these beautiful poems and stories about love and life and death. And it's just a fantastic film. But my actual film of the year, which I like, I don't love, but I do enjoy how it fits the criteria, is Lady Bird. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's quite good. A female director who was nominated for an Oscar mm. is always something that I'd mm. like to talk about on this mm. podcast. Um, with practically her first film? I don't know. I know about Greta Gerwig's acting. Yeah. Um, a quasi-autobiographical story about a young girl uh, hitting 18. Uh, or hitting, yeah, hitting 18. Um, played by Saoirse Ronan in Sacramento in California and it deals with her belonging to a Catholic school and all the ways that the Catholic religion impacts on the sex lives of young girls Mm -hmm. the kind of Madonna whore trope really there um, and how funny that is to juxtapose a Catholic school with parties and drinking and all the things that teenagers do and this classic story of a teenager growing up is centered upon this not very well-off family where both parents work hard and the central relationship between the mother and the daughter laurie metcalf who i think was oscar nominated um and Saoirse ronan and that's probably one of the reasons why I think it's so good and should be included on this list yeah. is that realistic, funny, very moving arguments between characters. And that's not often easy to make entertaining. I think that no one wants to go to the cinema and just watch a mum and daughter fight. But there's something in the way that Gerwig conveys the love between the characters, even while they're having these mother-daughter fights that I think is the mark of a great filmmaker. Um, 
And the film, probably because it was based on real life, just feels, again, something that I like. You've talked about concept. I think I like a fictitious film based on naturalism. I like to feel the performances are just natural. I don't like to feel like anyone's acting. And I like to feel like this is a world that I could step into. But it doesn't have to be real. Otherwise, this would be 10 films that are documentaries. I don't want that. I want the fiction because I like the idea that film can piece these moments together and give them a soundtrack and light them beautifully. Um, But at the same time, I want to look at the screen and believe what I'm seeing, which I know sounds a bit ridiculous because we should be able to believe every film. If a film's unbelievable, will it take us out of it? But I think that some things just envelop you so deeply in the realness of the situation and that elevates them to something which I think is a beautiful film and I think that's what Lady Bird does it's not necessarily a story I care for that much it's not necessarily original but it's truthful it's funny um it's universal I think Mm. a lot of people saw it even though it was about a girl and directed by a girl and I think it made I think it only cost about 10 million and I think it made something like 59, 69. It made an awful lot of money. It's that kind of rebel, rebel schoolgirl kind of genre almost, a la sort of Juno or Ghost World or something. Yeah, I'd say, yeah, it's, yeah, I think rebel, yeah, but not rebel in a rebel without a causeway, not aggressive, no. not trying to hurt no, anyone, no, no. Just, just trying just, to stand just, out just slight, in a small way. Slight, slightly railing against uh, the norms is all it really is, but um, she's fine. A lot, a, lot, a lot of people want to do that. Yeah. And I think Saoirse Ronan is just a joy to mm. watch. Everything she's in, she's good at. Mm. And, yes, she's just very believable and very... 79 million, there you go. So... Practically eight, eight times its budget, ten. God, ten million. It's pretty good going that she got what? ten million. But what do, you, what do you spend ten million even on? Well, you've got to pay for your rig, haven't you? She had lots of different shots. I reckon I could make that film for like 50,000 if you gave it me. I'd keep, I would keep, keep the other... Your upbringing as a, a girl at a Catholic girls' school. Oh, yeah, and I would keep the other nine million and nine hundred and fifty thousand. You might not win an that, Oscar, that though. You also wouldn't make this list because you're not a woman. Um, it's also got Timothy Chalamet in it. Brought him to kind of attention between that and Call Me By Your Name. And he's a very interesting person. I think he's a um, he's got big feminine energy, which I think is important for your new male mm-hmm. stars, is for them yeah. to embrace working with women. So I liked that. Um, and yeah, I don't really have much more to say. Just I think... To be recognised for your small film about your own life, there's something magical yeah. in that. Well, <clears throat> if there's a lesson to be learned there to anybody either writing or making a film is if you, you should probably at least start out with doing what you know because if you do what you know, it will be believable mm. uh, instantly because you'll be able to nail down those little tidbits and intricacies that other people don't necessarily know about. Um, you can then move on to do other films, but I think even the great, great directors, basically, you know, the ones that have been going for 50 years, essentially started out doing what they knew. And it's the only thing that you have control over is that yeah. you're the only one that can write the story and direct the story. Yeah. Um, and this is like, you know, Bechdel test blasting. 
just has scene upon scene of two women talking about all sorts of things. Um, so Lady Bird, my film, 2017. Thank you very much for making it to the end of part two of the podcast. Those canny listeners will realise that we only managed to reach our picks for 2017 and that means we've still got 18 and 19 to come. And I've decided to actually make a part three of this episode um, which will look at those two years because there's a lot to choose from and will also look forward to 2020 and all the wonderful film and tv programs we're going to see in that new year and in a new decade so tune in very soon for part three until then see ya